Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bottled Up Podcast, recorded on Friday, posted on Saturday, and talked about every single day of the week. And you would know that if you followed me on Twitter, at Bottled Up Radio, because we've got to get a self-plug-in right here at the start. First and foremost, we're going to head on over to Texas Motor Speedway, where they've got a split race, the first ever NASCAR doubleheader, with the Truck Series and the IndyCar, which is neither factual nor unskewed information, unbiased information, because I believe they do this on a regular occasion. However, the IndyCars are at Poc- er, are at Texas, the trucks are at Texas, the trucks were not at Pocono, that's what I was trying to say, but we're going to cover the race from Pocono, and if you, if you don't want a long summation of it, just uh, all I can say is that it was a snooze, and I'm, I'm genuinely sorry to say that, and I hate to say that, but this aero package... It was not the same Pocono that we are used to. And calling it a snooze might be a bit unfair, and I realize that, but at the same time, Pocono is a track that is legendary for these intense restarts. Five, six wide going into turn one. Awesome battles all throughout the race. I mean, you're really never locked into a position because there's so many places to pass. There's three turns, and we're going to get into the argument later about how many turns there are at Pocono. I know the argument is mostly died, but we're going to put the final nail in the coffin and lower it into the ground on how many turns Pocono has. You want the long story short? Pocono has three turns. We'll get more into that later. But it has six major passing zones. I would say arguably nine major passing zones. Two per per turn. You can really drive it hard into a turn and beat them on exit. You can drive it a little easier into the turn and then beat them on exit. You know, just drive it off harder than them and pass them coming off the turn. And that's the same for all the corners. So that's six right there, three times two. And you add on each straightaway is a really great place to pass. And you wouldn't really think so. But if you can get a good run going, each one of those straightaways is like a backstretch of Daytona. It's long, it's fast, and if you get a good push going from someone else, you can make your way around somebody. And you can make a full pass on the straightaway. That's why I consider it a passing zone. Pocono, three turns, nine passing zones. That's what we're going with. However, looking at the uh, results from final practice of the truck series, you have Johnny Sauter taking it with Matt Craft in second, Austin Hill third, Tyler Dipple, great run in fourth. Anthony Alfredo, crazy run in fifth. Right behind him, Todd Gilliland in sixth. And the difference between uh, first and fifth place is about half a mile an hour, which doesn't sound like much, but that's uh, that's because it's not. <laughs> half a mile an hour, that's it, separates first through fifth. And really first through sixth, it's point zero zero six miles an hour from fifth to sixth. However, it is .06 seconds. .06 seconds from 1st to 5th. 5th to 6th. One one thousandth of a second. That's how close these trucks are. And it took a long time for a lot of these trucks to get dialed in. I mean, DGR Crossley, I'm going to use them as an example. The first practice, they were about 8 tenths off the pace. That's huge. Because the different, well... The difference between first and last is actually about four seconds, but Ted Miner in the Extreme Air, I think that's Phoenix Refrigeration slash Prestige, I don't even know, it's abbreviated here on what I'm looking at, Um, Ted Miner, a driver who I've not heard of, and forgive me for having not heard of him, uh, rounded out the field in 32nd, but Natalie Decker was 28th, another DGR truck, she's... 
about a second. Uh, yeah, about a second. 1.3 seconds off of the leader. So first to 28th, 1.3 seconds. That's wrapping up the field pretty close. And the difference between first and about 20th was 0.8 seconds in the other practices. Everything seems to be a lot more condensed now. Everyone in the top 21 is under 30 seconds. And the fastest time was a 29.47 by Johnny Sauter. This is going to be a really, really good truck race. And by the time this is posted, it will be over, which I'm sorry. But my speculation for the race, and I, again, I'm recording this at 12.15 p.m. on Friday. So I'm, I have not seen the race yet because the race has not happened yet. I think Anthony Alfredo will get a top five. I always say that. But he's really got a shot to win this race, I think. And I would love to see it. He is back for redemption at Texas after a really, really bad wreck last time he was there. But he's in the 15 truck. He's looking fast. He's faster than Todd Gilliland by a thousandth of a second. Realistically, though, other people that could win the race, Harrison Burton, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Matt Crafton, I think he's got a good chance, but I don't know if he's going to really make it until the end. I don't know if he's going to be able to carry enough speed all the way to the end. That seems to be his biggest issue. He's fast for a while, and if he gets lucky with a well-timed caution for a pit stop close to the end, where it's like a 15-20 to lap sprint, yeah, I think he's going to win it. But he's got to catch that caution just right for him to really be competitive and good. I think Todd Gilliland, he needs redemption. Kyle Busch, trashing his own truck team. Trashing his own truck team and saying they're not performing. That is going to either kill morale, which very well could happen. Although, running sixth place, that's pretty good. Or it's going to really inspire those guys to go out and prove themselves because now the spotlight's on them. And this could be a publicity stunt by Kyle Busch. It's all a grand conspiracy that Kyle Busch has planned out to the detail. No, I don't think so. I think he speaks too much off the cuff to plan something like this. But it could be a stunt. The spotlight's on them now. They could have found something that's giving them an edge. They're switching around crew chiefs to see if that works. I don't know what what's going on over there at KBM. There's some people that do, and I can't quite get them to crack on that information yet. I would love to get that to happen so they can tell me what all is going on there. Not quite yet. I'm close. But there's some things going on over at Kyle Busch Motorsports in the trucks. They're not winning as much as they should. The only wins from that team are coming directly from Kyle Busch. And when he jumps into a truck, not only is he one of the best truck drivers out there, you can't take that away from him. He's really good in the trucks and the x cars and the cup cars. As much as he may dislike his personality, Kyle Busch is a good driver, and you have to give him that if you want to be fair. Personality-wise, it's tough. He's kind of a... I don't care if you you know, if he wins as much as he does and he comes off as cocky, that's fine. But the attitude that he has towards fans where he really does see himself as better than most other people, he's known for not really interacting with fans as much, except when the camera's on him. It's unfortunate. The sport needs someone who's got that attitude of, I can go out and win, I'm a darn good driver, and I can go out and win races, but he's also good to the fans like Jeff Gordon was. And Jeff, not to say Jeff Gordon was cocky and arrogant and going out and winning races, he was pretty humble. You know, he would go out, win, celebrate, and back the next week he's back on the grind trying to win. 
and he knows that he has to fight for that win, and that's how he raced, and Jeff Gordon is one of the greatest of all time. Not to say Kyle Busch isn't, or is, I'm not going to speculate on his career, if he'll be in the Hall of Fame or anything before it's over, but Jeff Gordon never had that cockiness to him, that arrogance in in the later part of his career, after I started watching, that Kyle Busch has. But Jeff Gordon was legendary for talking with fans, being great to his fans. The first time I ever met him was at Daytona. It was 2012, I believe it was. And we we sort of wandered into the garage area, my family and I. We just walked into the garage area on qualifying day. And, you know, I was, gosh, 13 at the time. 12 at the 13, I would have been at the time. So I had my, you know, Jeff Gordon pit crew shirt on and everything else, and I had the hat on and everything, and I happened to be standing near his hall, and I saw him walk up, and I said to him, you're Jeff Gordon, and he sort of laughed, he goes, yeah, I, I am, good call on that one, and we stood and talked for a good 10 or 15 minutes, I, th- I think it was around 15 minutes, he and I just stood and talked, it was really an incredible experience, and at the end of it, Jeff Gordon looks down at his watch, and he goes, well, hey, buddy, I'm sorry, I gotta get going, I've got a, a team meeting to get to, and I was like, oh, when's it start, you know, just like, ask him one last question, I guess, and he looks down at his watch again, and he goes, about 15 minutes ago, and I, I felt bad in the moment, like, oh my gosh, I just made Jeff Gordon, like, my idol, late to a meeting, and then I sort of was thinking about it later, and he wasn't upset about that, he wasn't upset about being late to the meeting, he stood and talked to a fan, that he'd never met before, who was in an area where he shouldn't have been, for 15 minutes. No cameras around, no fans around, nobody, nobody's around. Nobody else saw this, except for, like, me and my family. Nobody else really saw this. And he did that, and that is something that, seven years later, seven and a half years later, I still remember and bring up regularly in conversation about how a driver should interact with fans. Granted, I understand that drivers don't have the time to do that, not all of them will want to do that, and that really it was it was well above the expectation but the fact that he did that and made that memory for me is incredible and i hope other fans have similar memories other people listening to the podcast have similar memories of drivers doing something like that for them jeff gordon legendary for being so good to fans if kyle bush had that attitude and appreciation for the people that support him I really think he would be one of the favorites out there, and he'd be hard to hate. I genuinely do believe that. But with his attitude towards fans, his cockiness, his arrogance, all combined together, he's just not as well-liked. Anyways, that's besides the point. The reason that I'm, I'm bringing this up is that his truck team has not been winning. And he called them out publicly, saying, we're not winning, something's wrong, swapped around all the crew chiefs. Now Todd Gillen's up to sixth place in final practice, and I, I think they might have a chance for redemption there, and I genuinely hope to see that. Other notable things here for this truck race, Ross Chastain is now, he's competed in every single truck race. He's now racing for points in the truck series. He has eight races to get, a, realistically, he's in a must-win situation at this point, because he's coming in with zero points. He's coming in with zero points. And he's got eight races to make the playoffs. And then it's then it's it evens out where he's got, um, you know, it's the rounds and different rounds of the playoffs to move on in advance and all that. But he has to win now in order to be in realistically, and that's going to be tough because his win from earlier this year does not count towards the playoffs because he wasn't racing for points; he was racing for Xfinity points. 
So if he wants to win the truck championship, which a lot of people really want to do because he's one of the most popular drivers after he got screwed out of a deal with, um, you know, with the whole DC Solar thing, the the DC Solar thing that you all know what I'm talking about that I probably shouldn't get into for legal reasons, <laughs> where the FBI raided them and all. Because of that, he's one of the most loved drivers, and to see him make the playoffs and win the championship would be incredible. But he was 14th in final practice, three-tenths of a second off the pace. That's not that bad at all. If you're within three-tenths of the leader, you're, you're in good shape. Greg Biffle making a comeback, racing the 51 truck for Kyle Busch, 29.763, about, again, also about three-tenths off. So he was 16th, technically .293 seconds off. Chastain was .265, regardless, regardless. Greg Biffle, back in the truck. He says he's excited. If you follow Matt Weaver on Twitter, then you'll know that some of Biffle's comments were he was asked, is this like a retirement for you from the trucks? He goes, no, I don't think so. So Greg Biffle will probably be back, which is pretty cool. I, I, I would like to see that. Um, sort of just disappeared during an off season and didn't come back to the Cup Series from Roush. I don't know what really happened. He just sort of disappeared. Sort of like Carl Edwards, just disappeared and fell off the map. And maybe that's what he wanted. He was tired of racing in the Cup Series. He deserved better equipment. Realistically speaking, with Roush, they have been really suffering. Their Xfandy program, uh, suffering for years. Their Cup Series program, suffering for more years. I would love to see Greg Biffle get back in and racing in the Cup Series. Will it happen? Probably not. He's not the kind of driver, because he's retired once for driving in bad equipment and being sick of it. I don't think he's going to go back... Because if he wanted to race in the Cup that badly, he could go race for Rick Ware Racing in the, you know, in like the 51 there that Kyle Weatherman's driving this weekend. He could go race in the Cup Series for an okay team, for Spire Motorsports, for something like that, for Starcom even. He could go and race those cars, but he's going to go back and run at the back of the field, and he doesn't want that. He's a driver that's won in the past. He's a he's a good driver, and he's going to want if he's going to drive in the Cup Series, he's going to be out there to win. Kyle Busch Motorsports has winning equipment in trucks. Flat out. They can win. They haven't been winning, and that's an issue from the top where Kyle Busch is even saying, we're not winning and we should be. He has winning equipment under him now. Do I think he's going to win this race Friday? No. Realistically, no. He's been out of a car for too long. Kyle Busch Motorsports is in a bit of trouble. They have trucks that can win. I don't think they will win. I think this race is probably going to go to Alfredo, because I'm biased, Sauter, or Crafton. That's my guess. Maybe Gilliland, if he has a really good race and catches a lucky break. But at that point, it's the same thing for Greg Biffle. He needs a really good race and to catch a lucky break. Going back a week, let's take a look back at Pocono. Kyle Busch won it there. When asked about the new package in the press conference, stop asking me about the package. I'm not going to answer any more questions about the package. Just stop with it. Essentially paraphrasing him there. But not too happy about the package, but he got the win. Clean air was the dominant factor at Pocono. With the track that big, once you were out front, lap cars became so few and far between that the main factor, I think, was being in clean air. William Byron 
was fast, dominated the first stage of the race, really, and gets into dirty air and finishes further back, running in the mid-15th or so range because he's in dirty air. How fast he was at the beginning means nothing when he's out of the clean air. How many passes did we see after lap 10 for the after 10 laps into a run for the lead? Not many, if any. We very rarely saw passes actually. Again, the trend for this year is passing is down. Less passes are being made, less quality passes, which is, you know, passes for position and all that, and not just going around a lap car. It's down this year. And it's just so hard to pass in those cars. NASCAR has always been high horsepower, low downforce. If you want high downforce, low horsepower, Formula One is your place. IndyCar is your place. Those cars, if they're driving at full speed and you were to somehow stick them to the roof of a tunnel, scientific fact, if you were to somehow stick them to the roof of a tunnel driving at full speed, they would stay there from the amount of downforce that they have. That's high downforce racing with low horsepower. That's If that's what you want, go watch IndyCar. They race on ovals. They're racing at Texas this weekend. Tony Kanaan could have a really good race this weekend. I don't know. But I think Scott Dixon and Will Power is going to pull it off. That's besides the point. If you want high downforce, low horsepower, you go watch the Indy cars. And I get that that's open wheel racing, open cockpit, and it's different style of racing. But that's what, that's, that's what their specialty is. Formula One, that's what their specialty is. NASCAR has always been high, down, high horsepower, low downforce. And this year, we're adding more downforce and taking away horsepower. The quality of racing, for the most part, there have been a few exceptions, but the quality of racing, for the most part, has gone down. And I've yet to see a majority of people saying we're happy about this change in the package. A lot of the journalists I'm seeing are saying we're not happy with the change. A lot of fans are saying we're not happy with this change. Is it safer? Yeah. But you have two options to go for regarding safety. You can either make the tracks and the cars safer by improving safety equipment like they did with the Hans device, with the safer barriers, things like that. The extra steel in the door panels, you know, so that if a car gets hit from the side, it's not going to cave in and hurt the driver. You you can T-bone one of those cars, and the driver's probably not going to get hurt. We've seen that a couple times this year. It's what caused Kyle Larson to flip. But, and granted, that was with air affecting the car on the right side because it was all beat in and everything else. But you guys get the point where you can hit a car on the side and it's not going to crush the driver in and kill them. Or you can improve safety by slowing down the cars, adding more downforce, and making the cars easier to drive so that there's less wrecks. And that's the path they've gone with. I hope that's not the continued tradition. Because you get with that races like Pocono, where people are walking away from it going, that was boring. Because there's less passes. Pocono should have Pocono should have five wide restarts. Shoot me for saying it, but Pocono should have five wide restarts. That's their signature thing. I just that's what I think. Is that those restarts were crazy. They were mayhem. We saw a couple three wide restarts and they were interesting. They were pretty good, but it's not the same level of racing. If we were to implement this package at the tracks where it's good and go with the old package for other places, we're getting the best of both worlds. And I hope that's what they do for next year. I really, really do hope so. If you can change between aero packages during the year, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard for the teams to adjust to that. I understand. But I think they'll do it. I think the teams are willing to put in that extra work 
if there's incentive for them to do it, which is better racing, which is more fans coming to the track, coming to the track, because the stands are empty half the time, but more fans coming to the track, watching it on TV, and being invested in the sport, and watching it because they love it and it's so good. That's what I hope to see. But who knows? I'm just some guy with a podcast that I upload myself every Saturday. You know, my opinion won't change the world, and if I were king of the world, that would be, you know, hour one, day one would be split the season with the tracks that work with this arrow package and the tracks that don't. The tracks that don't work, we go back to the old package. The tracks that do, we go with this new package. I think that would be good. Because there's been some good races this year, and I won't take that away from them. But places like Pocono, it just doesn't work. And I'm sorry to say it, but Pocono deserves better, the fans deserve better, and the drivers deserve better. And to create the best racing product, that's the goal. We're not artificially altering the results. This isn't entertainment. This is a sport. But making the best sport possible with the rules that we have to implement for safety reasons, that should be the goal. To round it off on a more lighthearted note, for this argument, people are saying Pocono has six turns. I've seen four turns. I've seen five turns. I've seen, I think someone said it had eight turns. Pocono has three turns. Pocono has three turns. There isn't, I don't know how anyone could debate it. It's a triangle. They call it the tricky triangle. And if you say to your crew chief, I'm tight going into one, I'm tight coming off of one or whatever, they're going to know what you mean. And that's how you break it up. Because those turns on most ovals, you know, you're you're changing, I, I don't want to say changing direction per se, but when you're halfway through the turn, the car acts completely differently than in turn one. Turn one is different than turn two. You could be tight in one and loose in two. And that's just the way it is. Pocono, it's just the way it is. It's different. The car tends to react the same way. I've, you know, you're not tight in on one, loose in the center, tight off, something like that. You you tend to have the same conditions all throughout the corner. You might be tight in one and loose in two because they're two completely different corners, but Pocono is a three-turn track. I will fight anyone that says otherwise. It's it's three turns. I would listen to what you're saying if it if you said it has six turns and you break each turn into two. Okay, that's a bit pedantic, but I'll allow it. Pocono does not have four turns. It's the tricky triangle. Three is the correct answer, in my opinion. Six, if you're being nitpicky and splitting hairs. If you say it has eight turns, then you need to leave. If you want to talk about this, I'm on Twitter at Bottled Up Radio. You can talk to me as much as you want there about anything. My, As Kevin Harvick would say, my DMs are open. Slide on in. <laughs> I doubt Kevin Harvick would ever say that after the Millennial Car. But to wrap it all up, the Pocono race could have been better. This new aero pack, it just shows another side to this aero package. A two and a half mile triangle is not the best place for it. And that's the way it is. Some tracks are good, some tracks are bad. That's just the way it falls. That's the way the cookie crumbles. To all of you listening, thank you so much. It means so much for me every single week to be able to just sit here and ramble and talk and people listen and respond to it and let me know what they think. I love that. I'm on Twitter at Bottled Up Radio. If you want to hear something specific, if you want so you want to see someone on the show, just let me know. And I, I can try and do my best to make it happen. We're always reaching out to people, trying to get people on the show, and things are coming together. They're always 
coming together. It's a work in progress all the time until the day this show ends, which I don't see happening in the foreseeable future. Thank you all so much for listening, and this has been another episode of the Bottled Up Podcast.